Podcast, a podcast that brings insight, keys, and perspective for everyday living through the lens of God. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm so, so glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to Vantage Point, welcome home. I'm just, again, so glad you're tuning in. Just to give you a little insight and information on Vantage Point, we have been heard in over 40 countries, and let me let, let me let you know that you found a great, great podcast to tune into. I want you to do me a favor, whatever platform you're listening on, whether that's iHeartRadio, Pandora, um, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, I want you to be uh, able to stay connected with Vantage Points. So uh, definitely make sure you're uh, subscribing, make sure you're like or follow, whichever uh, form the platform allows you to do. I know some are subscribed, some are followed this way. As new episodes are released, you're able to get uh, that alert right directly on your phone. And though for those that have been tuning in, welcome back. I'm grateful, so grateful you continue to tune in with every episode. And I've said it before, we're just just getting started uh, with Vantage Point Podcast. And I want to encourage everyone to share this episode or any episode with someone because you can partner with me to get the word out about Vantage Point Podcast. And so I want to jump right in. We've been in this series called To Whom It May Concern, Letters to the Church. And in this series, we've been focusing on the letters in the book of Revelation written to the seven churches. And I said this in the first episode, and I'm sure a few others, my prayer has been that with each episode, we find new perspective relating to the church. Now, what I mean by the church for any first-time listeners is not just the physical building. See, there's the organism, which is the physical people. And in these letters, Jesus is not only addressing the churches, but I would even be bold enough to say he's specifically addressing the church body, the organism, the people. And with every letter we've opened, we've found things that impact us still to this day, even though these letters were written um, in previous times before us. And so today's letter is no different because we started with the church of Ephesus, and it was about forgetting your first love. And with the church of Smyrna, it was remain, It was about remaining faithful in the midst of suffering. With, the, with Pergamos, it was about compromising the culture. With Thyatira, it was about tolerating false teaching. With Sardis, it was about being spiritually dead. With the church of Philadelphia, it was about the right mindset. And for today's episode, the church of Laodicea, it's about being lukewarm. That's right words you've heard before being lukewarm. And I want to jump right in to scripture and uh, then deal with this concept of being lukewarm. But this letter actually begins in Revelation 3 verses 14 through 22. And again, these letters are written by John, but are the words of Jesus revealed to him. And again, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, I'm coming from the NIV, New International Version. And it says this starting at verse 14. To the angel of the Lord in Leo, to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Verse 21, to those who, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. And just like with every episode, I want to touch on a little history when it came to uh, this church in this region of Laodicea, uh, because see, in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, this city um, was was right next to the Lycus River uh, Valley located in Asia Minor, what is now the modern-day Turkey. And within that river valley, uh, this city, Laodicea, shared a pretty uh, prosperous trade route uh, with two other cities, uh, Hierapolis and Colossae. And the city actually received its name from Laodicea. It was a wife of um, a wife in a dynasty in the third BC, right? And in, in really some regard, the city reflects the splendor of Rome, right? It sat on seven hills, just like the ancient capital of the world. Uh, this it contained marble theaters, uh, a wall encompassed the city. Prosperous industries bolstered the the economy, which was like banking, uh, clothing manufacturer, medical school. Um, Jesus actually refers to these things in his rebuke. Um, the, the surrounding land was rich and fertile due to an abundance of water which flowed through the valley. And, and even archaeologists have um, discovered like aqueducts, uh, which is basically a system that, that routes water that entered Laodicea uh, from the south to transport water into the region. And what actually is, is key about that is the city did not actually have a supply of water of its own um, to draw from like the other cities. So it had to essentially bring water to the city, right? And so for as rich and bolstering as this, this economy and everything was in the city, they had no source um, of their own water. Um, and and, and as, as we look into that, we're going to see that this um, these circumstances when it came to the city are really key to them ultimately becoming this lukewarm that Jesus is describing in this letter. Um, and there was even uh, one thing, other thing to point out, there was actually this great earthquake that happened in 60 AD that actually destroyed the city of Laodicea. And essentially they were still so wealthy and so prosperous the citizens of the city actually rebuilt the city themselves and even refused any aid financially or anything from Rome like that was unheard of back then like Rome is offering to help but this city says no we got it we'll deal with it and so that's actually going to come back and we, we when we read the scripture even going back to verse 17 it says you say I am rich I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful poor blind and naked and so we're going to really get into that a little bit but I want to just jump into it uh, one of the first things we notice uh, with this letter is that really uh, the Laodicean church uh, has nothing to commend it. Like Jesus didn't give them 
um, anything um, of positive note. He other other than he says, I know your deeds. And then he goes right in with the condemnation. He says that you are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out. You say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus emphasizes their lukewarm nature three times. And I want you to think about uh, that. And really, that's something even weird we deal with today, right? Um, and, and he really, like I said, he brings it up three times, but it's really... Um, a, a call out to their um, kind of lackadaisical or just oblivion, oblivious to spiritual things. Uh, Jesus essentially is telling them he wants nothing to do with them. He, he's going to spit them out um, as they would spit out, like as you would spit out water, spit something out of your mouth, right? And then with that apathy, with that um, unawareness, right, to spiritual things, uh, that comes blindness, Right, they claim to be rich and blessed and self-sufficient, but in material things, yes, that's what that is referring to. But spiritually, they were poor, right? And, and how many times have we seen that in our culture, right, where we see this this um, material wealth, but we see spiritual poverty, uh, and, and that's essentially what Jesus is calling this church. Is you're he's saying to them that you are you might be rich in material things, you might be rich financially, economically, and all of those things, even educationally rich, right? But you are spiritually um, ignorant. You're spiritually poor. You have a deficiency in your spirituality and connection to me. And he refers to them as wretched and pitiful in this kind of condition that. Essentially, they could not even see their need. And the church was was filled with hypocrites. He even calls, Jesus even calls the church to repent of the sins. He says, I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see, Revelation 3.18. And see, their, their material wealth, had no eternal benefit. And that's something I think that we we sometimes get so caught up in this world, in this life, we get so caught up in the material wealth, right? The acquisition of things, but we, we fail to really click into and hold on to the eternal benefits that come with following Jesus Christ. We, we seem to, you know, stop at salvation or we seem to not really want to get really deep into those things, but we are so consumed with the material wealth, the material acquisition of things. And so Jesus commands them to come to him for true spiritual riches, right? That only Christ can supply, right? And it's everlasting. It's an inheritance. It clothes us in righteousness and heals our spiritual blindness. I don't want you to really hone in on that because see, those are the things that we get when it comes to um, dealing with Jesus. Those are the, some of the things we get. And, and I want to just touch on some of those um, here a little later, but I want to get to um, a few different, like two real big things that ultimately impacted um, this 
church in this city, these people. Uh, and that first distraction was wealth, right? We've been talking about it. Again, the city was famous for being wealthy. We, we talked about it rebuilding its own walls, rebuilding its own city uh, from the earthquake. But Jesus had a warning for them. Again, verse 17 and 18, uh, you say I'm rich and I have everything, but you don't realize that you're miserable and poor, blind and naked. So he advises them to buy gold from them, right? And see, again, we've mentioned it before, but I keep going back to it. See, what was true 2,000 years ago is still true today. Like wealth can lure us away from the greater purpose as Christians, right? We, we don't start out with the goal of turning money into an idol, right? But over time, acquiring possessions and gaining wealth is intoxicating. It has a feeling like think about even if you, you know, went from one job to the next or got a pay raise. And I'm talking like a substantial pay raise. I'm not talking like, you know, a couple of, um, you know, pennies on the dollar or something like that. I'm talking you, you know, you leveled up. Right. And you started acquiring things. And then because of that wealth, you were able to acquire other things. Right. Uh, materialistic things. And then that becomes intoxicating. Right. And then Jesus himself, he tells us this in Matthew six twenty four. He says, you cannot serve both money and God at the same time. One or the other will dominate you. And Jesus even took it to his disciples, Matthew nineteen twenty three, and he warned them that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And see, don't get um, what I'm saying confused because money is a gift from God. It's not money. That's the evil. It's our perception of the money that makes it evil, right? And what, how we rank it or how we prioritize it in our lives and in our walk um, ultimately is what that does. But don't get me wrong. The prosperity, money, wealth is a gift from God. We can look in the Bible and see character people in the Bible that were wealthy. We can see that, right? But see, when it moves to the center of our lives, when the money becomes, when it shifts from a gift to the idol, to what we worship, to what's centered our life around, it becomes a distraction from the main purpose of every disciple of Jesus Christ, which is helping people pursue God. And that's the power um, that money can have over us if we allow it. It will begin to distract us and take us away from the things that God has called for us to do. And see, this distracted this church 2,000 years ago. And imagine distracting them now, um, distracting them then, and how it could even be more distracting for us today with the levels of money that we see um, being transferred around, whether it's an athlete's salary or some CEO's salary. And we think, my goodness, and we, you know, we, we see these, these incredible, um, I'm talking seven, eight, nine-figure salaries, and we just are sitting in awe of these and just wondering, like, what is going on? And then even as we get things, as we get into the six and seven figures, um, how it becomes a shift in our mindset, right? And I want you to think about this, like on average, people give a smaller percentage of their incomes today than they did during the Great Depression. Like, hold on to that. Like, we're talking about the Great Depression, right? Where people were losing work, didn't have money, living literally below poverty, right? People today give less of their income than they did during the Great Depression. 
Right. And, and even in America, right? And I know I have listeners from all over uh, the globe, but in America, and, and we're talking Christians too. This isn't about a non-Christian because I'm going to be honest with you, like most non-Christians like donate and give money and do things, right? But for some reason, like in this country and specifically Christians, like the wealthier we get, we see this drifting away from a heart of generosity. We're, we're focusing on our quote unquote own kingdoms rather than the kingdom of God. And like this church in Laodicea, we're distracted by our wealth. And so I'm just, I'm, I want to throw that question out there to you. Where, where is your mindset when it comes to wealth? Is it a distraction for you or is it a vehicle that you use to present the gospel and to share the gospel and, and, and definitely put it in its place as a gift, not an idol um, and, and assure yourself that you're not having the bad or wrong impression or focus on money because we can end up just like this church in Laodicea where we we basically quote verse 17 and says, hey, I'm rich. I got everything I want. I don't need a thing. I don't even need you, God. Like, I don't even need you. I'm good. And so then we get into this place and where we don't even realize we we're poor, we're blind and we're naked. Right. Spiritually. Right. We might have everything in the world materialistically. Right. And in our pockets and in our bank accounts, but in our spirit, in our soul, we're, we're poor. We're living at a poverty line. And so that's something to really think about as we shift into this. And then another distraction. Um, we've been talking about this a few times in different episodes, but culture. Right. Popular culture literally preys on the insecurities of people. And, and, and this isn't new. Right. Even as we look at Laodicea, they were famous for producing these these rich uh, clothings and other things. And for them, it was an, it was a source of local pride. Right. But Jesus even turned that into a warning uh, in Revelation 318. He says, also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And here's the irony of that. Like, I want you to think about this. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, doesn't matter what your background is, but I want you to think about this. Wherever you're from, wherever you're listening, um, every generation has its own sense of cool, but it almost always looks silly to the next generation. And then fast forward to the end of generations, and you'll see it from God's perspective. See, the Lacedonians, they had it wrong. See, they were proud of their their black wool, this famed black wool that they made. It was like their premier thing. But Jesus saw past all of that to their souls and said it wasn't a matter of just swamping a black garment for white. He declared they were literally naked, spiritually naked. And, and I wonder how much more distracted um, do we get and get deceived by pop culture? Right. And I think that's a thing that we've seen. I even have a friend on her podcast. This last season was called Culture Wars. Right. And there's this this internal and really an outward and overt power struggle going on right now in the world and specifically America. There's a there's a culture um, war being going on right now between Christians and non-Christians. Right. Um, different communities, different this, you know, LGBTQ and, you know, then we get into COVID and all of these, like you start to see this, this culture war happening. And even if we look at the sense of cool, like we mentioned a little bit ago, like things that were, were in 10 years ago are not in now. 
things that were in 20 years ago are not in now. But it's funny, like, with culture, those things always tend to come back. Like, bell bottoms came back. At one point, they were cool. Then they weren't. Then they came back, right? Hip-hop was cool for a while. And then, for some people, it wasn't. And then it came back. And so it's just interesting how culture seems to repeat itself. But for some reason, um, when it comes to our Christian walk and we come to that, like we struggle the most with culture, right? And, and it's so interesting because even Jesus dealt with culture, right? And it's so like he dealt with more political culture and, you know, religious culture, right, from Pharisees and, and Sadducees and all of those things and the religious leaders of the day. But here we are dealing with the opposite of that, the secular culture, right? And how are we supposed to go into a secular culture and preach the gospel, right? And, and it doesn't mean like we don't go completely disconnect from popular culture, right? We have to see beyond it to see the stuff that truly defines us. And if we do that, we can then focus on the people and not the culture, not the things that they're into, right? Because we're not going into that. Uh, um, I'm a firm believer where I, I'm, I say it this way. It doesn't matter how much you preach to somebody. It doesn't matter how much um, you, you sow into some people are listening to this now. But here's the thing. I'm only giving you a nugget. I'm only giving you a piece. I'm only giving you a portion of what God has said or what the word is, is, or what the Bible says. Right. And it's not going to be, it's for some people, it's, it is going to be one episode or one message or one word, but for some people, it's going to take more than that. And that's not my goal to come in and change anybody. My goal is to continue to preach the gospel, embrace people, speak truth in love and allow the Holy spirit to transform people and that's where we get it confused, I think, as Christians, is where we think we are the ones that's going to transform the culture. No, we're the ones that present the gospel to the culture, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And even when we look at this church and this lukewarm, see, they, they had got so lost in their personal wealth or their personal, the culture around them, they became, they became prideful. They became focused on the outward appearance, and they didn't really care too much about the inward. So that's where the lukewarm nature comes in. And, and one thing um, with this letter specifically is um, that it, it gives us a list of remedies to help us um, get back on track. And that's the beauty of every one of these letters is Jesus gives the opportunity to people to get back on track. And the letter um, includes three specific re remedies. And I want to just cover those really quickly before we close out. But I'm, I'm hoping you you latch on to them um, and, and hear the words of Jesus through this revelation letter. Uh, he says, refined gold. He says, buy from me gold refined in fire. And the, port, the point to this is to obtain something genuine, not fake. Um, something that Peter wrote, wrote in 1 Peter 1.7, it says um, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glorify at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So faith and love are true riches that Christians should demonstrate in their lives. And it all comes together in a in a Christian character made of pure gold. Not again, back to what Jesus is saying, buy gold from me refined in fire because see, getting connected to him we're able to get refined through a fire and come out better than we went in amen and then number two he talks about white garments he says buy from me white garments that you may be clothed and again black wool was a major uh lace laodicean export but if we compare it in in a spiritual context the message that jesus is saying he's going to turn black cloth into white outfits representing the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus offers us that plan of salvation to allow us to go through and have that exchange of garment. And then the one I, I, I just really just caught me is the eye salve. He says, anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. See, the city of Laodicea was was a big hub for medical school, right? They specialized in, in ointments and salves. And for the church, uh, spiritual eye salve, understand and applying biblical truth clears up self-deception and it restores spiritual vision. And see, that's the beauty when you think about anoint your eyes with eye salve because, see, they have been blind for so long. They become blind. They allow their wealth and culture to blind them to the things of God to the point where they got lukewarm. But once your sight is back, once you can see spiritual truth and spiritual love, you start to get yourself back in line to the things of God. And I know you're probably sitting there like, what does Laodicea have to do with me? And see, the beauty of this letter and any other letter, any of the other letters, is you don't have to remain in the condition that Jesus calls out. He tells them, behold, I stand at the door and knock. All you have to do is open the door and Jesus walks into your life. And we've heard this scripture many, many times again. Like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we wonder, will we open the door? So that's my question to you. Because Jesus is standing at the door. Maybe you've gotten lukewarm in your faith. Maybe you you kind of got used to doing it on your own and, and, and making things happen through your wealth or through other means. And you're saying, you know what? I don't I don't need I don't need God like that. I don't need him like that. You know, but he's still standing at the door and knocking. But he is a gentleman, so he's not going to force his way in. He wants you to open the door. He wants to cover you in righteousness. He wants to walk with you. He wants to give you that spiritual eye salve to open your eyes. Because the opening that door allows Jesus into your heart. And it adds a great reward. Revelation 3.21, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Again, for your word, we give you all the honor and praise. And even as we uh, get to the close of this series, Father God, and we look at the lukewarm church, Father God, of Laodicea, we just thank and praise you that you are still at the door, Father God, that you're standing and knocking at the door for us, Father God, because you love us so much. And so for the fo anyone that's listening at the sound of my voice, Father, I just pray that they open their eyes, Father God. They allow the salve on their eyes. They allow the clothes in righteousness, Father God, that they continue to return away from the things that they're doing, Father God, that they turn away from the wealth or the culture or whatever it is, the idolatry, Father God, that has shifted their focus away from you. And I pray that they continue to seek you and, and connect with you, Father God, in a way that transforms them 
builds them up and sets them on fire to do the things that you have called them to do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Man, thank y'all so much for tuning in. I just want to give a few um, pieces of information before we get out of here. We're going to be wrapping up this series. We have one more episode. I know we're out of letters in the book of Revelation, but there is a letter specifically uh, that I do believe God has given me for the church of today. And so just in a couple of days, we're going to have that episode come out. But next week, we kick off Persons of Interest Summer Takeover Part 2. This is a summer series I did last year where um, I essentially take two months off and we have eight amazing guests, uh, hosts. And there's a few people from last year that I'm bringing back, but there are some new uh, guess some new surprises that are going to be on Vantage Point this summer. And then we're going to be kicking off season six of Vantage Point podcast in August and be looking out on social media for more information on that. And even in the summer, you might catch a couple of bonus episodes. Who knows? I might throw some out there, but I want you to tune in and lock in for summer takeover. It's going to be great. And as always, continue to seek insight, keys, and perspective for everyday living through the lens of God. It will change your world and your life. God bless.